This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. This morning, I have a message that I believe will be a blessing to you. Let's have a look at the title. It's coming up on the screen now. We've titled this message, Only by Faith Can You See Yourself the Way God Sees You. Or you could say it this way, Only by Believing God Can You See Yourself the Way He Sees You. And that's so true. Amen. You know, when we read Scripture, when we see what He says about us, when we see what He says, what He's done for us, whatever it is, we take it at face value and we believe, we choose to believe God. Those who choose not to believe God, those who choose to doubt God or question it, well, then they're not going to have the perspective that God has of them. Amen. And that's specifically what I want to focus in on today is the fact that only by faith, only by believing, can we really see ourselves the way God sees us. Can we only think of ourselves the way God thinks of us? Now you may think, well, you know, that sounds like a very basic elementary message. Well, let's see. Let's hear it. And if anything, if it's a reminder of fresher, well, good. But I believe something will be said today that is going to help you just go further with your faith and believing what God says about you and really taking hold of it. Now you may say, well, I don't know if I really need it. I know who I am in Jesus. I know what I have in Jesus and I'm fine. Well, let me share with you and you can probably relate to this because most believers can, unfortunately, relate to the experience that I had. I remember back in, I think it was um, somewhere toward the end of 1981. Um, I don't know if it was the end or the middle, but in in 1981, I was 13 years old and I heard the gospel. I heard salvation in Jesus preached. And I, by my choice, received salvation in Jesus at that time. And so I remember when I received salvation in Jesus then, as young as I was, I was so excited about it because even though I was still young in my teens, I already knew what it felt like to be a sinner. I knew that there was something between me and God. I knew that things were just not how I wanted them to be between me and God and my eternal, my eternal future. And so I had so many things going on in me. And like most people, you know, I had a history. My life wasn't perfect. Things happened. Tragedies happened. Different things happened. And a lot of them had formed and shaped my personality, my character, my view, my view of people. And so I remember then when I received salvation in Jesus, if I could describe it to you, and you can probably relate to this, it felt so wonderful. I remember answering that altar call. And at that time, you know, they called us forward toward the platform. And so I went and I was there. But I remember just feeling like I was the only one. And I raised my hands and I said the prayer. And I remember experiencing that new birth in my heart and just something on the inside of me changing. And then they took us to another room where they got some of our information. They prayed with us. And obviously it was just to follow up and, you know, get us involved in training and teaching and that kind of thing. But I remember going through all of that. And for about a year or two after that, I got involved. I went to courses when I could, when my parents would let me go and, you know, I could get a ride to church. I would go to the classes and the courses on discipleship, on different things. I loved it. But it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was excited. I went to school. I couldn't wait to tell my friends what had just happened. And, you know, they didn't always celebrate me. Some of them made fun. But the joy that I had in my heart was just so awesome. It was so overwhelming, so exciting. Nothing and no one could change how I felt on the inside. I had what we call the joy of my salvation. But then I started getting into, you know, going to church more. And unfortunately for me, and and I don't despise it all because I got a good foundation to some degree. And also it's helped me appreciate, you know, understanding gospel truth and understanding the grace of God now. 
But I was in an environment where they mixed their teaching with law and grace. So it was more of a legalistic teaching. You know, the kind of thing that said, yes, you're saved by grace, but now you've got to do this, 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 and that. And if you don't, then these things will happen. And if you do, then these good things will happen. So it all became very legalistic. But I remember as I was being discipled, I was getting involved. Within around 18 months of having received salvation in Jesus, that joy of my salvation began to fade. It began to become not so joyful. It began to, in my relationship with God, I began to feel like I was being put in bondage. I began to feel like if I don't perform, then everything that happened that day is not going to mean much. And I have to question whether I'm even going to make it in heaven. And I'm, I have to question whether God will even bless me because I may not be doing everything that the pastor says I should do. And, you know, the other leaders say I should do. And so what happened is, is that within a short period of time, even though it was around two years, within that short period of time, I literally lost the joy of my salvation. And I got to a place where everything became so hard. I had to pray for so long and I had to declare for, for, for this and I had to do that. All of a sudden, I got a, it felt like I was put on this treadmill of merit and performance. And I was wearing myself out, not just, not really physically, but psychologically, emotionally, I was being worn out. And I, and I got to the place where I questioned, is this what Christianity is about? Is this what Jesus did? I mean, it's like I was in a different kind of bondage before I received salvation. And now I'm in a different kind of bondage. And I'm told that it's good. I'm told that it's a good thing. But I still felt bound. I still felt chained down. And I thought, this cannot be. And you know, for a long, long time, many years, I would question, why is it that I felt that joy for about two years and nothing and no one could affect me in any way? Where is that? I want that back. And you know, praise God, even though it took decades, by His wonderful grace, God eventually, in to, uh, at the end of 2009, 2010 was really the year where God just took me out of the environment that I was in. It was almost like I had a Pauline experience, you know, where He took him out and taught him in the wilderness first, and then He came back. God took me out and literally just re-educated me, showed me gospel truth, confirmed it through many sources, and then said, okay, now you are ready. Let's go. I can tell you, by the end of that year, that joy of my salvation came back. And it felt so good. I felt so free. I felt so liberated. And I can tell you, since then we have faced trials and tribulations. We are currently facing some now. But I can tell you, the joy of my salvation always stays there because of my understanding of gospel truth. It is because by faith I have learned to see myself the way God sees me outside of my merit, my performance, and everything else that I can do or cannot do. Because that's the heart of God. Because that's exactly what happened when I received salvation in Jesus. I wasn't thinking about what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. It just happened and I felt so joyful. And all of a sudden when I began to be made aware, you know, you're not doing this and you are doing this and you shouldn't be doing that and you should do that. That's when that joy began to fade and, you know, almost go away. And so having said that, that's what this message is about. In a way, it's about just reminding us that the joy of our salvation needs to be there, should be there, and can be there. Amen. Just like it was when you first received salvation in Jesus. And so I have to ask you this question before we continue. Can you tell me today that you are living in the joy of your salvation just as it is, as it was when you first received salvation in Jesus? Only you can be honest. And if you can say yes, I hope and trust that, you know, the teaching we've had, being part of this church has helped you either get that joy back or maintain that joy. Because our heart is not to take it away. Because that's not the heart of God. Amen. But if for any reason today you don't feel the joy of your salvation where it should be at an optimum, then I believe this is going to bless you today. 
Amen. So let's begin by having a look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And we are going to read this one from the King James translation. We are familiar with this one. Watch what Paul writes here. And he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now look at that real carefully. What it's really saying to us is that the way to determine, the way for us to determine and living God's will for us is by changing the way we think to the way God thinks. I mean, that's another way you can put that. It is basically saying to us, if you want to think the way God thinks about you, if you want to live in what God has done for you in and through Jesus, then in the reality of that, then you need to think the way God thinks. We need to transform, renew our mind. We will be transformed when our mind is renewed. And what is our mind? What we think. Isn't that so? And so really what this is telling us is that change the way you think. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't think like the world thinks God thinks of you. Think the way God really thinks about you. And then that will transform you. And then you will be able to see how good, acceptable and perfect God's will for you is. That's in essence what this is saying. So really it's about how we think of ourselves individually, how God thinks of us individually. That's what we need to work on. Look at the same portion from the Passion Translation and how it puts it. It's pretty nice. Watch what it says here. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit, watch this, through a total reformation of how you think. See that? So it's how we think that needs to change. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect, watch this, in His eyes. So really, what this is again saying to us is, is that God sees us a certain way and when we begin to think and see how He thinks of us, and we begin to think of ourselves the same way, then we will have a beautiful, satisfying and perfect life. Regardless of what we face, what goes on around you. So it is key for us to think the way God thinks about us. We need to think of ourselves the way God thinks about us. How He sees us is how we need to see ourselves. And you know, like the title says, the only way we can do that is by faith by believing because there is nothing else we can do <laughs> to make ourselves think the way God thinks other than believe see what he says about us and believe it amen so transforming the way we think begins then by understanding what God has done for us this is the foundation if we don't have this foundation clear in our thinking first and foremost it will be hard for us to believe anything else God says about us and then change the way we think. I mean, think about what I said earlier about losing the joy of our salvation. It is because either false doctrine, halfway doctrine, mixture of law and grace doctrine, legalistic doctrine, it is because it infiltrated our thinking and changed our thinking and made us think differently to what God actually says about us. And that affected our whole lives. It affected our whole being. And so this is why it says what, the way you will be transformed is by thinking about yourself the way God thinks about you. Amen. And it all begins with this foundation that I'm about to share with you here. This is how it, that transformation, that way of thinking begins. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 from the New Living Translation. It says there, the first part of that verse. For God was in Christ, watch this, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Look at that. 
God himself personally, in and through his son Jesus, what did he do? He reconciled you to himself. In other words, he restored you 100% and completely to himself, taking care of the sin issue. So that's the first thing that we see there. God reconciled you to himself. The second thing that we see there, which is probably the one that most people struggle because of doctrine, it says there, God no longer counts your sins against you. So he doesn't hold your sin against you and he doesn't count your sin against you. Amen. And it tells us there that God did this for us in and through Jesus. What wonderful truths. What a wonderful, powerful foundation for us to understand. And that's what we need to base our thinking on. The fact that God himself, in and through Jesus, not through your merit, not through your performance, not through your doing or not doing, avoiding and engaging, whatever you want to call it, not through that, but in and through Jesus, God himself reconciled you to himself. So you, when you receive salvation in Jesus, you were also instantaneously reconciled to God. That reconciliation became yours right there and then. And you were reconciled and you remain reconciled because it's not on the basis of your doing or not doing. It is on the basis of what He has done for you. So you may not always feel reconciled, but you know, feelings can lie. And it's not, faith is not based on feelings. It's based on believing God. And He says, you are reconciled to Him. So therefore, you are reconciled to Him. Amen. And, so the, and then the second thing we see here is, is that it says that He no longer counts your sins against you. Now, someone who may need a little extra heart surgery, and I don't mean the physical heart, is going to read to say, well, if he doesn't count my sins against me, then I can just go engage and do what I like. I'm forgiven for all my sin, past, present, and future. He doesn't count my... If that's the case, you do realize that there's a twist in your heart that needs help. Because that's not at all the heart of God here. He didn't forgive us so we can go, and you know, like we read last week, a pig that gets washed, what does it do? It goes right back to the mud. Well, he didn't, God didn't clean us so we can do that. He cleansed us so we can be acceptable before Him. So He can change His view of us and we can change the view of ourselves before Him. Amen. And so, but look, look at this over here. It says that He no longer counts your sins against you. So now, if you've been reconciled to God and He doesn't count your sins against you, people may, your own mind may, your conscience may, but God doesn't count them against you. So if He's reconciled you and He doesn't count your sins against you, then what is His view of you? How does He think of you? Well, it's pretty phenomenal and awesome, isn't it? And that's the way you need to think of yourself before God. Will we make mistakes? Sure. Will there be things that happen? Will we get discouraged? Will we face trials and tribulations? Sure. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change these realities. You have been reconciled to God and, you, and He does not count your sins against you. Amen. So, having said that, let me say this and let's think about this. If you still think that God may be displeased or angry with you, it is because you still think He counts your sins against you. I mean, that's a simple but profound truth. Isn't that so? If ever you feel, if ever you think that somehow God is not pleased with you, that somehow He may be upset with you, or He may just have you know, pulled aside from you. In other words, there's just something that's not right between you and God. If you still think that way, based on what we've just read, it means that you still think He counts your sins against you. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't feel that way about God. And He doesn't do that. We may feel that way. When we mess up, when we, th we do things, you know, because of legalistic conditioning, if you will, we have a tendency to think. So our perspective may change, but God's perspective doesn't change. So if for any reason you still think 
that God isn't pleased with you, there's some issue, something's up, something's not right, it means that you still think He counts your sins against you because that's the only thing that would make Him feel that way or think that way about you. And He says He doesn't. Isn't that so? And so it also means that you still think that your conduct and behavior play a role in you being reconciled to God. It also means that you don't believe what we just read. Whenever you feel that way, whenever you feel like there's something between you and God, you don't believe what you just read. You've been reconciled in Jesus and He no longer counts your sins against you. You see, and even though it may be something simple, it's something that needs to change about us. This is why we need to do it by faith, by believing. In other words, Father, I'm dealing with some stuff and it feels like something's got in between you and me and I know I shouldn't have done that. But you've reconciled me. You don't count my sins against me. You and me are fine. I need your help to help me change my thinking, my feeling, and, and stop whatever I need to stop. But his view doesn't change of you. Is someone with me? I mean, is this making sense? And so, <clears throat> when what is in your mind, and remember, I'm speaking to you by you, 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 but I'm speaking to myself too. Don't forget that. But when what is in your mind is different to what is in God's mind about you, that is when uncertainty, insecurity, doubt, unbelief, and a lack of confidence thrive. Isn't that so? I mean, we all find that. And I think about my experience. You know, when I began to, when it felt like I was losing the joy of my salvation, and, you know, all of a sudden I didn't feel so comfortable with me and God, it is because I was no longer thinking the way God thinks about me. And that's when I began to feel uncertain, insecure. I started doubting. I started entertaining unbelief. And I had a lack of confidence because it was thriving in that environment. And we cannot let that do that. Nothing good thrives when our thinking doesn't line up with God's thinking about ourselves. Let that be a quote and remember that. Nothing good thrives when our thinking thr doesn't line up with God's thinking about ourselves. Now, conversely, when our thinking lines up with God's thinking, then guess what? Confidence, certainty, security, peace, and joy thrive. This is why God wants us thinking about ourselves the way He thinks about ourselves. Because then we will have that beautiful life, as the Passion Translation puts it. Amen. So really, at the end of the day, having said all that, all renewing your mind is you changing your thinking to line up with God's thinking about you. That's all renewing the mind is. That's in essence what he's saying. Change your thinking to line up with my thinking, says God, about you. Then you will enjoy the fullness of it. Now, we have to ask the question then, how does God think of you? How does He see you? How does He think of you? Because if you see that, then you can think of yourself the same way. Well, no better portion, or I guess there are better portions, but one of the better portions that shows us this and answers that question is, how does God think of you? How does He think of me? Is Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. We're just going to read the first part of 23 for time's sake. But let's begin with verse 21. Now, I want to remind you, we've studied this before. The background to this is here he's talking to those who were under law. They used to relate to God by old covenant law. And as you know, in the new covenant, we can't do that. We need to relate to God by new covenant grace. We don't ignore the law. We just embrace it for the reasons God gave it, right? And so remember that because that's the background here. That's who he's talking to. Now, watch what he says here in verse 21. Once... You were, past tense, look at that. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, God is speaking here to those who were under law. And He is basically telling them that when they were under law, when they were relating to God by a legalistic system, they were alienated from God because they never measured up. But also it says they were enemies of God. Why? In their minds, because of their conduct and behavior. So really the issue was in their minds. The law conditioned them. Legalism conditioned them 
to always feel like they never measured up, to always feel like there was always something else that they hadn't done, that they hadn't fulfilled, to always feel like there was something missing, there was always something to do in order to feel reconciled to God. And he says, that's what the Lord did to you. He says, it made you feel alienated from God. In other words, distant from God, separated from God. And also in your minds, it doesn't say in God's mind. It says in your minds, you saw yourselves as enemies to God because of your behavior and your conduct. So if you want to know how God wants you to think of yourself, this already gives us a clue. If for any reason we feel alienated from God, if for any reason we feel like mm, maybe God is not that happy with me, maybe I'm not on his speed dial, in your mind that is happening. And it is because you're looking at your conduct and your behavior. Now I'm not saying conduct and behavior doesn't matter. I need to keep saying this because some people get me wrong. It absolutely matters. But it's the fruit of what you believe not something you're trying to produce a fruit. Isn't that so? And so, but it says that you're in your mind. So before salvation, this is how we all saw ourselves. I mean, even as a 13-year-old teenager, I saw myself as someone who was not close to God and someone who probably didn't measure up. So, you know, I don't know where God has me in His, in his list, if He has me in His list at all. Amen. And that's how most people feel. So in our minds, we saw God as displeased and maybe even angry with us. And I know that I certainly did. And so we saw him ultimately as counting our sins against us and ready to judge us. Because that's what the Lord does. But yet you're about to see in that same portion that that is no longer how we should see ourselves. God doesn't want us to see ourselves that way. So he's just laid out what it was like before salvation in Jesus. The, what it was like relating to God by law. And so even if you receive salvation in Jesus, but your relationship with God is a legalistic one, that's how you are made to feel. Maybe not to an extreme, but that's what it did to me. I, yeah, received salvation in Jesus. I had the joy, but two years of legalistic discipleship and all of a sudden I felt alienated from God and in my mind, I honestly felt like sometimes like an enemy of God because I was made to look at my conduct and behavior. And so we should no longer think that way. Watch us now in verse 22. But now, won't you say, but now? Don't you like the but nows? Praise God for that. But now, he says to them, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, watch this, in His sight. Not your sight, His sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. So notice, he says, when you were under law, when you had a legalistic relationship with God, you felt alienated and in your mind you felt like an enemy because all the law did was point to your conduct and behavior. And then he says, but now, in other words, having received salvation in Jesus, it says you realize that God himself in and through Jesus has reconciled you to himself. So God did it, not you, because if we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. So God did it. And then he says, because of that reconciliation, because of what he's done for you in and through Jesus, he says, now this is how God sees you. He sees you as holy. He sees you without blemish. And he sees you free from accusation. Why? Because he no longer counts your sins against you. Powerful stuff, isn't it? So what we see here is, is that through Jesus' burial, death and resurrection, three things won't you say three things? Come on, do it now. I dare you. You may even be watching by yourself, but just say it. Three things. <laughs> three things change about you in God's mind. What is the first one? He now sees you as holy. What does that mean? In other words, He sees you perfect in, perfect in goodness and righteousness. You may say, oh no, Pastor Marker, he, if you only knew what I've been doing, what I've been getting up to, and the mistakes I've made, well, see, this is why it's not based on your conduct or behavior. Now again, 
it's not to say that just go ahead and knock yourself out because that'll sear your conscience, harden your heart and eventually lead you to unbelief and you don't want that, right? But He sees you as holy. So, do you achieve holiness? No, none of us can because if we could, I mean, I've heard teaching, you know, where they say, you know, holiness is like a muscle. The more you work it out, the more holy you become. Okay, fine, whatever. I understand the logic, but it's not scriptural. Because if we could achieve holiness in and of ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. It's because we cannot that God sent Jesus to become holiness and make us holy. Amen. So notice, He sees you as holy. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that He sees you without blemish, it says. What does that mean? It means that He sees you without flaw. And you know my accent, flaw, flaw, I don't know how, but you know what I'm saying. He sees you flawless, right? That's what that means. And then thirdly, it says that He sees you free from accusation. In other words, there is nothing to accuse you for. Because He has dealt with this an issue, He doesn't count your sins against you. So, even though at one point they were relating to God in a legalistic way, and it had a bad effect on them, now God says, now because of Jesus, <clears throat> I have reconciled you. And in that reconciliation, this is how I now, I now see you. I see you as holy. In other words, perfect in goodness and righteousness. I see you without blemish. In other words, without flaw. I see you flawless. And he says, I see you free from accusation. In other words, completely restored. And I don't count your sins against you. Praise God for that. Amen. And this is how he says we need to see ourselves. We need to transform our way of thinking to that way of thinking. I am holy before God. He sees me without blemish. He sees me free from accusation. He doesn't count my sins against me. You tell me if that good news, that good gospel, motivates anyone to go and live a sinful lifestyle. Give me a break. Either they have a warped mind or they just didn't hear properly what I had to say. Amen. But it doesn't change gospel truth. This is the way God sees you. So the sooner we line up our thinking to that, the sooner the joy of our salvation will come. I know that it's happened for me. After receiving the understanding of gospel truth and things like this, around 2010, my life changed. The joy of my salvation came back. And that joy is always there. Yes, I face things. Yes, I go through things. But the joy of my salvation is always there. Now, does Satan try and attack me? Does my own mind and my own flesh try to attack me and make me feel not like this? Sure it does. But this is why we've got to believe by faith how God sees us. Amen. I've got to believe it outside of my merit and performance. So this is how God sees and thinks of those who receive salvation in Jesus. He sees them as holy, without blemish, free from accusation. That's you if you've received salvation in Jesus. Amen. Now don't try and be convinced to believe it. Believe it because God says it. And when you take it and receive it by faith, when you believe it because He says it, you'll enjoy and you'll have the joy of a salvation right there. Amen. So these attributes, notice, are given to us by grace. And we appropriate them by faith, by believing them. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve them. They are given to us by His grace, unmerited favor. And all we do is we appropriate them, we take them and make it ours by faith. So you can do that right now. If for any reason you've had a struggle in your mind and heart about, you know, how God sees you. Well, you've just seen how He sees you. You've just seen what He's done for you. So just receive it by believing. Take your merit, your conduct, your behavior out of the picture and just receive it by believing. By faith is what we call it. Amen. Now, others may not see you that way, but God sees you that way. You may not always see yourself that way. You may not always feel that way, but it doesn't change how God sees you. Amen. No view or opinion can change how God sees you and how God thinks of you. That's another simple but powerful, powerful truth that needs to be solidified in our hearts. Let me say it again. No view or opinion can change how God sees you and how He thinks of you. Amen. Praise God. Now, if you don't believe this is how God sees you, 
then guess what? I have nothing else to tell you but that you are living in unbelief. Unbelief of the gospel. Unbelief of gospel truth. If you don't believe that, then you're in unbelief. And the way to change it is by embracing what God says, and that will transform your mind. Amen. Now, let's continue with that portion with verse 23, the first part of verse 23. He says now, having said all that, he says, If you continue, watch this, in your faith. Now, the NIV unfortunately changes that and makes it a little perform-driven. But the original says, if you continue in the faith, right? So that's the way it needs to say it. If you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out, watch this, in the gospel, not in your behavior, your conduct, not in someone else's opinion, but in the gospel. Remember the context here and what he's saying and everything he said. He says, continue in that by believing. That's why it says in the faith, by believing. And he says, established firm in what you believe, not moving in what you believe and hoping in what you believe, which is in the gospel. Amen. Now in context, as you have seen, which unfortunately taken out of context often is taught from this verse, which is not correct. But in context, you see that he's not saying you will lose your salvation, but rather he's saying you will go back to law. You will go back to a legalistic relationship with God and that will have an effect on you. That's in essence what he's saying. So it's not about losing your salvation. When he says, if you continue, he's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying you need to continue in these truths about you. You need to continue the truths you've just seen, how God sees you, change your mind to think the way He thinks about you, and continue in that, established, firm, don't not be moved and keep the hope, because that's the truth. And if you don't do that, then it'll take you right back to doubting all that and disbelieving all that. That's what He's saying. And so, from this you can see too, that legalism will destabilize and move you away from gospel truth. That's another point that he's making here in this. So really, we could put this verse 23, the first part of verse 23, this way. You could say that he's saying this. You will keep thinking the way God thinks of you if you continue believing how He thinks of you. Isn't that so? <laughs> Let me say that again. What he's saying is, is that you will keep thinking the way God thinks of you if you continue believing how He thinks of you. Outside of your merit, your performance, your conduct, your behavior. Amen. In other words, what he's saying is, is that be established, be firm, be unmovable in the gospel truth about you. That's what he's saying. And then he says, if you don't, or he's implying, if you don't, you will lose sight of it and go back to legalism, which is the context of this whole portion. And he certainly doesn't want us to do that. So really, in essence, he's telling them, that if they lose sight of how God sees them in Jesus, it will also affect their entire lives. And I can only share with you from my experience, and those of you who have had a similar experience, you know how it feels. I had the joy of my salvation. I honestly saw myself the way God sees me, forgiven, reconciled, not counting my sins against me, until I got into legalistic indoctrination and discipleship. And all of a sudden, it began to tell me, no, you, you, there are some things God will not forgive you for. And if you don't do this, then God's going to do this. And if you do do that, then good for you. But make sure that you are. And all of a sudden, I began to lose the joy of my salvation. And it affected my whole life. I remember as a young man, just before I went to the army. I think it was, I was either 18 or 19 years old. Just before I went to the army, I remember being so disheartened with God with the gospel, with church, with Christians, because legalism had literally destabilized me to such an extent that I thought it probably was, I was probably better off not having received salvation in Jesus because I feel worse than a beaten down dog. And I was actually happier before that because that's what legalism will do to you. This is why we need to make sure that we hear gospel truth. We, need, we believe what God says because only by faith can you see yourself the way God sees you. Only by faith can you think the way God thinks of you. And that's the way He wants us to live. 
Amen. Think about that joy when we first received salvation in Jesus. Remember how you felt when you realized how God sees you without all these doctrinal filters and legalistic filters. I mean, think about what caused you to lose that joy. I think about my own experience. Was it sin that caused me to lose that joy? I can honestly tell you no. And I'm not saying I was good or perfect. I did mess up. I was a young man. I was a young teen. I did things that I shouldn't have done. I thought things that I shouldn't have done. I, I, I admit it to you. But is that what took away the joy of my salvation? Definitely not. It was legalism. It was, it was legalism that really made me doubt gospel truth and question God's view of me in Jesus. It was doctrine that mixed law and grace that basically said to me, yes, you saved by grace, but now you better do all these things to keep in God's good books and keep having God's blessing in your life. That is what took away the joy in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do, but we do because we are, not because we're trying to be. Amen. More so in actual fact. But anyway, so really what it was is that legalism put the focus on me. And I'm sure it did the same thing to you. It put the focus on my merit, my performance, and it told me this is how you determine God's view of you. And let me tell you something. Satan loves nothing more. Demonic forces, evil forces who hate us, who hate us, who are against us, they like nothing more than to use legalism to point you to your merit, to your performance, to your conduct, to your behavior, and let that determine God's view of you in your mind. So in our minds, we begin to see ourselves as enemies of God. We think God sees us that way when He doesn't. You see, Satan's goal ultimately, listen to this real carefully, please. Satan's goal is not to get you to sin. Because like with me, sin didn't do that to me. It was my view changed of how God sees me. So really... Satan's goal is not to get you to sin, but it is to get you to sin long enough and often enough so that he can make you question God's view of you through guilt, shame, and condemnation. Did you hear what I said? Satan's goal is not to get you to sin, but rather it is to get you to sin long enough and often enough so that he can change, make you question God's view of you through the guilt, shame, and condemnation of that sinful lifestyle. That's what he aims for. And of course, his ultimate goal is really to get you to stop living by faith. Because when you turn your eyes onto your conduct, your behavior, your merit, your performance, it's hard to believe what God says. And that's a ploy of the devil. That's, that's a thing that he's done for, <laughs> for years, for thousands of years. Don't fall prey to that. Amen. Your faith is his ultimate goal. Your faith in the gospel. Our feelings follow what we believe. And he knows that. That's why he wants to alter what we believe so that our feelings can follow that. But here's the gospel truth. Our feelings don't change the gospel. What God said about reconciling you, not counting your sins against you, and the fact that you are holy, without blemish, and free from um, accusation, our feelings don't change that gospel truth. Isn't that so? Our sin doesn't change the gospel. Our attitude doesn't change the gospel. Because if they could, then they would be greater than the gospel. And they are not. Amen? What Jesus did to redeem you and I, is far superior and greater than our feelings, our attitudes, our um, views and our sin and all of that. Isn't that so? Praise God, praise God. Faith is our assurance. This is why Satan is after our faith. Because he knows that it's only by faith that we can see ourselves the way God sees us. And that's our assurance and that's why he's after that. So God wants us living in the joy of our salvation always. Amen. But legalism will tell you, oh no, you know, that initial joy that you felt was the honeymoon stage. Because as you grow in the things of God, you'll find that, you know, the honeymoon stage is over. And now you've got, to, you've got to do this and you're responsible for this. No, 
That's not true. God intended, based on everything we've seen here so far, God's intent was always for us to live in the joy of our salvation. Amen. But we are the ones responsible for believing the gospel. Isn't that so? We are the ones for responsible for believing God. Amen. And, you know, I'm going to say some things, a little frank here, that may be a little pinch, but I'm talking to myself here too. But just hear me out. And I'm saying this because I love you, not because I'm trying to be self-righteous or mean or anything else. Remember I said, we are the ones who are responsible for believing the gospel. Right? So, if you need someone else to make you happy about the gospel, you need to check your belief system. If you need a preacher like me or some other preacher who preaches the gospel truth to make you happy about the gospel, you need to check your belief system. I'm talking to myself here too. If you think God still has some disapproval toward you, you need to check your belief system. Amen. Not seeing ourselves the way God sees us is destructive. And that's not God's desire for us. So let's take the responsibility. Let's believe what God says. And let's change the way we think about ourselves to line up with how God thinks about us. You're reconciled. He doesn't count your sins against you. You're holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Praise God. And that's the way it stays. Amen. Let's uh, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 as we come in for our first landing of three. So I'm giving you a heads up, okay? <laughs> landing number one to Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. So then, it says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. What does that tell you? The way you receive salvation in Jesus is the way you are to live out your whole life in Jesus. Isn't that what it's saying to you? In other words, living the same joy, the same peace, the same love, the same acceptance as when you first started. In other words, that that we call <clears throat> the joy of our salvation, we need to live with that joy, that peace, that fullness our whole lives. And it is possible, otherwise he wouldn't say it. And the reason why he says it is because when you take away legalistic filters and misinterpretations out of Scripture and out of what God says, you know, no matter what happens, what you go through, how God sees you and you live by that. And that joy continues. Amen. How do we do that? In verse 7, it, he tells us, <clears throat> he says, rooted and built up in Him. Notice, in Jesus, not in yourself, not in your behavior or conduct, in Him strengthened, watches in the faith. In other words, in believing as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Doesn't that tell you that there's nothing you can do or not do to make this any more than what it is? It is what it is because that's what it is. <laughs> and I'm a poet and I don't even know it, but I've just realized it. <laughs> but praise God for His wonderful truth. In other words, the heart of what He's saying here is be established in the truth. See yourself the way God sees you. Now I'm going to end off with a nice little, you know, when you go have a meal and you order your food and you enjoy everything, but then they bring in the dessert or the, the last item and it's just so good that it just settles the whole experience for you. Get ready. I'm about to give you one of those. That was, verse 7 was our second landing. Here's our final landing, our third landing. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12. The first part of that verse. I'm going to say some things here that are going to make you think. And I think you should think real carefully. Notice what it says here. He says, Paul writing to Timothy and of course to us as well. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. You hear that? So let's think about that for a moment. Notice, the fight is a good fight, right? He says, fight the good fight. Now let me ask you a question. What is a good fight? What would you consider? No, I mean fighting is not a good thing, but sometimes we need to, right? But what would you regard as a good fight? Wouldn't you agree with me that a good fight is a fight that you win? That's a good fight. If you lose the fight, it's not a good fight. So here he says, fight the good fight. In other words, he's already telling us 
the fight that you're going to fight, which is believing. So in other words, fight to believe is what he's saying. Because you are going to have a force that's going to try and make you believe otherwise, or disbelieve, or have unbelief. But he says, it's a good fight. In other words, you're guaranteed to win. That's why it's a good fight for you. He says, fight the good fight of faith. In other words, you are going to win. That's why it's a good fight. So, to do what? To keep on believing. Believing what? What God says about you. What He thinks about you. Fight to believe that. And you can win this fight. Isn't that so? So now, what He's basically also telling us in that is this. Imagine this boxing ring. Two fighters get in there and they fight. Right? And so, one of them is you. The other one is the enemy. Satan. Demons. And here He tells us, fight the good fight of faith. So in other words, get in the ring and it's going to be a good fight because you are going to win. But here's what we need to understand about that. We need to keep the enemy, keep the enemy in the ring of faith. Because when we keep him in the ring of faith, it's going to be a good fight every time and we are going to win every time. But, He's implying here, if you let him fight you in his ring of conduct, behavior, merit, performance, in other words, his legalistic ring, then he will win every time. Then it will not be a good fight. In other words, you need to pick your fights. And the fight you need to pick is the one that is in your ring of faith. Because when you fight that fight, it will always be a good fight. And you will always win. In other words, always go with what God says about you than anything else. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So it is only by faith that you can see yourself the way God sees you in Jesus. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.